0: listening to Overcomer's Church International podcast. Here at OCI, we're dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you're listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. So I want to continue where I left off last week and I was talking about persecution which is something I've never ministered on before, maybe just mentioned it, but never taken a whole section to talk about persecution. And, and I want to be really careful because this isn't something that we want to talk about in order to instill fear, but it's in order to instill reality and then how people living, serving the king, respond to things coming against them in the world that we live in. Who in here has experienced some things that have come against them in this life? Who could say that you've had some things come against you and it's been directly because you were serving the Lord? You knew it related to that somehow. And so it bears repeating that when we're talking about persecution here at this particular moment in time, it looks different here than what it would look like maybe in another country where they're physically being tortured and, and whatever. But it's still the enemy. And I've, I've said this before, and I, I want to say it again. The same spirits that worked to persecute Jesus and the apostles and that are working to persecute people in other countries as we speak, the same ones are at work to try and persecute us. And the, the end game for them is to shut us up, to shut us down, and ultimately, to stop the gospel of Jesus. But what we find is that he doesn't, he, he really, al- he always overplays his hand. The enemy always overplays his hand. I think I've shared this before, but it's a really great story that back in the time when Nero was the, the whatever they call the C- the Caesar of, of Rome, and he was persecuting, he was probably the most diabolical Caesar that there was. And he was persecuting the church so heavily. And they would bring the Christians in. And you know, they'd put them into the Colosseum and there was different places that had theaters like that. And they would bring the the Christians in, and they would use them as sport. And they would have lions come out and and chase them And, and eventually they got to where they would burn them at the stake and people would mock and laugh. Can you imagine? I mean, that's pretty barbaric. But these things were happening. And there are accounts that when Nero, during his time, was burning Christians at the stake in front of thousands, that the Christians were so full of the life of God. Imagine this. They were so full of the life of God. There were times, and this is recorded, that up to three people would jump from the stands and come down and be converted at the feet of the people that were being burned at the stake. And it's because the people that were being burned at the stake, they weren't cussing, they weren't angry, they weren't mad, they weren't bitter. They were praising God literally in the midst of the worst time of their life and at the very end of their life. And it had such an effect on the people that watched it because it was real, it was real people want real stuff. And I've found that one of the things that turns people off to the Lord and to the church is the level of life that we don't live at. We claim Jesus to be this greatest person of love, and he really is, and that he's the one to serve. But then like in America, you know, we don't get our new flat screen TV or, you know, They didn't balance our tires right or whatever. It's just something, and we lose our stuff over it. And people look at that, and they think, why in the world would I want that? It's not working for you. So there's something that needs to to happen in us, and it really needs to happen in us for the future because the deal is is that the future looks really bright for us, but I, I wish I could tell you that we won't have to go through some things. I've come to the conclusion, and I was thinking about this this morning, if the political climate continues to go the direction that it's going in our country, I probably will end up in jail before the end of my life. I'm just telling you, things are fast-forwarding so fast, and I have a big, bold mouth, and God's given it to me, and I'm not going to shut up. So, I'm not prophesying anything negative, but I understand the times that we're living in. And I was thinking this morning, I was thinking, you know what? I could just end up in jail. And then I thought, I'm, you know what? I'm going to start a jail ministry. Amen. They're not going to shut me up. I know some of you might think, well, that seems a little bit extreme. You're just trying to get a laugh out of us. No, these are the times that we're living in. You understand, there's, there's a guy in Colorado, the baker in Colorado, he has been sued three times, three times now for the same thing. If things aren't passed to reverse that nonsense, evil will continue to prevail and they will persecute. That is persecution. That's what that is. It's persecution. You understand that when they say you cannot wear a mat, I'm sorry, you cannot worship in church that that is a form of persecution. They particularly called out in California, they called out Christians, churches, and they said, you can neither chant nor sing in your services anymore. That's some serious business. We need to know the times that we're living in. It's really important that we understand this. So I don't want to overstate it, but I also don't want to understate it. I want us to see really what's going on. And you, you might be one that say, well, I don't think we should sing. Well, that's your business. But you just watch in the next two years, five years, 10 years. If things don't begin to go back, then we could end up being in the same place that so many other people are in the world to where they endure great persecution. At the very least, a message like this should cause us to have extreme compassion for people that are in other countries that have, they literally have given their life for the same thing that we can so freely at this point so freely meet and talk about there are Christians all over the world that are being beheaded they're being killed every single day every day in our world it is happening so at the very least this could cause us to have some compassion so let me go back and just briefly touch on what I shared last week and then I'm going to move into some other things i just started with the fact that persecution comes with the territory It's the nature of following Jesus. It's something we're not not set free from. We've not been redeemed from persecution. We've been redeemed from a lot of things. But there's nothing in the Bible that gives us authority to stop people from persecuting us or to stop the enemy from trying to come against us. There's different forms of persecution. And then I talked about that there are two reasons why Christians get persecuted. And I got through number one, and then I stopped at number two. And the first one, let me just for a quick review is because of revelation. That's the first reason why Christians get persecuted is because of revelation. We saw this with the Apostle Paul in that he had uh, revelation uh, beyond measure. It was in great abundance and there was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. And I've heard some people say, well, Paul had that thorn in the flesh and it was sent from God to cause him to get out of pride. That's not true if you go back and read it there was nothing true about that. And it says it was a messenger of Satan, not a messenger of God. And by the way, Satan and Jesus are not in cahoots. (laughs) They're not working together. They're in opposition to each other. Because some people say, oh, well, it was a messenger of Satan, but God told Satan to send... I've literally heard people say that God told Satan to send that messenger to, to silence Paul and because he was getting into pride because he had so much revelation. No, the revelation that Paul had was how great Jesus was and how important the gospel was and all, all of that. And that's why the enemy came in and tried to silence Paul through persecution. That's why it came to him was because of the abundance of revelation. We also found in Hebrews chapter 10 where he says, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, after you were illuminated, after Revelation came, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. There's so many times, and I've related been able to relate to this a lot personally, personally, where God will show me something and then the enemy will come in and try to disrupt the thing that God has planted in my heart, disrupt the word that God has sown in my heart to get me to back off from the very thing that the Lord says I want you to move forward in. So we find that, we find that a lot of times. And so, but that, that was the first thing is because of revelation is the first reason why Christians get persecuted. The second reason is because some people hate God, some people just hate God. Why do they hate God? The best I can come up with is Romans chapter 1 says that although they knew God, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. And he was manifest in them, but they didn't want to be responsible to the creator that made them. So the best thing I can come up with why people hate Christians so much and there are many people in the world, they literally despise everything about us, is because they don't want to hear what we have to say because they know it's true and they don't want to be responsible to the, to the God that we're saying is the one and the only true God. It's just kind of like when you find people that will be jealous of you and they grow a hatred towards you, And that's kind of what the world has entered into. They've entered into almost a jealousy because we have something that they don't have. But instead of relinquishing their life and saying, give me what you got, they stay in their pride and then they end up hating the very thing that they need the, the most. And so the second reason is that people in the world, some people in the world just simply hate God. Now, I went to Psalm chapter two. I want to go back here. And I want to read this again. I love this verse. It's one of my favorite passages. Psalm chapter 2 and we're going to start in verse 1. And it's really important because I heard this taught years ago and it was there's judgment involved with the scripture. And I heard people talking about this is God's judgment against the church or it's God's judgment against people that aren't living right. Let me clearly say to you that we're living in a dispensation right now when the judgment of God has been removed because Jesus has taken the judgment that was due to the whole world upon himself. It says that he was the propitiation for our sins only and not ours only, but for the entire world. That pro- that word propitiation, you can find it three times in the New Testament. It means the appeasement of divine wrath by sacrificial offering. But what this was talking about here isn't about God judging people during this time, but it's about the judge when this dispensation is over, bringing the wrath that's to come upon the people that not only mocked him, but came against him and came against his people. So when you read it in that light, it's like, wow, I really don't want to be on any other side, but on God's side. And look here in verse one, it says, why do the nations rage? And the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves against the rulers. uh, Excuse me. And the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath, and distressed them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, instructed, you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. I can tell you now that there is a time coming... And I don't think we should have an attitude of, boy, I can't wait till they get what's coming to them. We're supposed to stay in mercy. We're supposed to believe God for change. We're supposed to influence kings, all of that. But understand this, that God will have the last laugh. The ones who have come against him, who have come against his anointed, when the end comes, and you say, what does that look like? I wish I could tell you exactly, but I know it is going to come. And when the end comes and the Lord brings his judgments on the earth, After the dispensation of the church church age, the grace dispensation, judgment will come to those people that rose up, up against the Lord and his anointed, meaning you and I, meaning Jesus, meaning the message of the gospel. They are going to get what's coming to them. I don't want to be in that position, man. I want to be on the side of the Lord. Praise God. So in a sense, I have compassion for those people. Even though they're in rebellion, I have compassion because we know what's coming, It says, to kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little. It only takes a droplet of God's wrath to really mess things up for people. So when his wrath is kindled but a little, that seems to be more than a drop to me. And it's going to really, really do a lot of damage to the camp of the enemy when that time comes. And I don't want to get caught up in that for the moment, but I love the fact I want to say this, that I love the fact that we serve the one who is ultimately going to win. Ultimately, things are going to come to a conclusion. Ultimately, things are going to be settled. Ultimately, things are going to be at peace. Ultimately, we're going to be without sickness. We're not going to have to hear about the coronavirus at some point. We're we're going to have peace amongst people. God's going to set everything right. Jesus is going to come and reign and rule and set everything right one day. So we have a hope, we have an assurance to look forward to what he is one day going to set in order. But between now and then, the best thing I can say is just hang on. Because it might get turbulent. As a matter of fact, I can guarantee you it's going to be turbulent between now and the time that Jesus returns. Praise God. But we're made of the kind of stuff where we can handle the turbulence. Amen. So anyways, going back to the first uh, verse here, it says, why do the nations rage and the people plot of vain things? The king's of the earth, set themselves against the rulers and take counsel together against the Lord and saying, his anointed. And as it goes on, simply put, this is part of the reason why we get persecuted is because people just hate God. They just come against God. Let me give you some other verses concerning this. John chapter 15 and verse 18. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So in other words, he says, the light and the life that you have in you and on you, the world will hate that, and it's because they simply just hate me. I remember one time, and I I shared this in another message at one point, but I remember one time, the only day in high school before I had a car, that I rode the bus, and after I rode the bus, I told my parents, I I said, I will, and I never told my parents anything like this, but I said, I will never ride that bus again. (laughs) I was a good boy, and I always did what they said, but I said, I'm not riding that bus, and it was because when I got on the bus, there was already loaded with kids, and this guy sitting all the way in the back knew me, and knew my name, and said to the whole bus, Kent Ward is a, and you could throw out like 40 explicits that he put in there in front of everybody. And I mean that really, you know, like back then I was a tender little guy and it really crushed me. But then later on I realized why he did that. He didn't know why he did that. It's just that his heart was full of darkness and darkness has no fellowship, no connection with light. There are people that will hate you just because you have light in you and they don't even understand why they hate you so much. And that was a case in point. I thought there was no point for that guy to do that. I, I don't, didn't even remember having a conversation with him. He wasn't even in any circles of friends. I mean, I kept to myself. I didn't want to be bothered with people. I, didn't, no, I mean, I was afraid of people. There was no reason for me to get on the bus and him to do that other than the fact that I, have light in, I had light in me and he had darkness in him. There was no other reason for it. Jesus says, they're going to hate you just because they hate me. There's a voice, I say it like this, that every person has a homing device on the inside of them that's going off that says that they belong to the Lord. I actually don't even believe in atheists. When someone says, I'm an atheist, I'm like, yeah, you're a liar. (laughs) I mean, I don't tell them that, but I think that. Every single person that's ever been born knows that they're responsible to something, somebody greater that they were that created them. Everybody knows that. And there's something in them that says, I need to be responsible to that. But when people are in rebellion, instead of, and that's the nature of rebellion, instead of humbling themselves and saying, I want to know the God you serve. I want to know how to get out of my situation. They'll start coming out against you. That's what rebellious people in the world do. And that's why they will hate you and me. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22, look here. And this basically says the same thing, but just to drive home the point. And you will be hated by all, by all people, for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. So here he says that you will be hated by all people for my name's sake. You know, it's like when you listen to Jesus and you listen to the apostle Paul, they talk so much about, and and the same with Peter and John, all of them, about the persecution and the wrong and the world hating them. And it was like, who wants to sign up for this? They're going to abuse you. They're going to throw you in jail. They're going kick, to kick you. They're going to spit on you. They're going to torture you. And during the Roman rule, they, they even took and they scattered the tribes, the people of God. They scattered them abroad throughout the whole Roman empire and families were separated from each other. Friends were separated from each other tremendous, really horrible things were happening. They're like, hey, does anyone want to sign up for this? This is why the gospel has to come by revelation. It's not supposed to be a a middle-class social club where you sign up and go, man, I really want to feel good. I'm going to go there on Sunday mornings. Now, the gospel will make you feel good because it's really good news. When you hear good news, it will make you feel good. But the message of the gospel and the responsibility of what we carry will always bring us into harm's way concerning other people. It doesn't mean that we should try and go and stir up trouble. Sometimes when I read read Paul, I think, you know, if he just wouldn't have done that, he wouldn't have had so much trouble. But there's something in a person that has had their life illuminated with the revelation of the gospel of what Jesus has done that will cause them to go and do things that a normal person wouldn't do. It will cause them to preach. It will cause them to go against what the the rest of society and the rest of the world is doing because they have light. They have life on the inside of them that says, I have to go and I have to tell people. And if there's not something in you that says that, then I pray God give you a greater revelation to where your life is devoted to the gospel of Jesus. When Paul said, that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. You go and look that up. He's talking about he was appointed to literally lay his life down for the sake of the gospel. And I think, God, I want that same thing. I want to live and have that same mentality in me that I would lay down my life for the gospel. I'm having a hard time connecting with some of you on this because it's like persecution, I don't know, laying down your life, I don't know. I'm telling you, folks, it's coming, it's not a negative prophecy. It's the reality of the world that we're living in. We're seeing persecution, and it's going to continue to come. Are you going to scatter like so many Christians do, or are you going to stand up and say, nope, I'm going to stand with truth. I'm going to stand with the gospel. I'm going to stick with my brothers and sisters. We're going to hang together, and we're going to press through this thing. That's a question you need to ask yourself right now, because what I find happening right now I listen to people, I watch people, I pay attention to the Christian culture that's happening in our culture. and it is, it is a sad story. But what I believe is gonna happen is that there's going to be some pruning in the body of Christ, and it's actually happening already. Now, I'm not talking about pruning to hell. Don't misunderstand me. Man, when you get born again, you're born again. But there are some people that are sappy that are, they, they have no backbone for anything, wouldn't stand up for truth for anything. Those are not the ones that the Lord is going to be able to count on to do what he wants them to do in these last days. You say, well, I, I just don't want to be, you know, you got to have a revelation in the gospel. You got to get on your face and say, God, make this thing real to me personally. Because when you do and you get that, and many of you I'm looking at, you do have that. And you are with me, and you are with the Lord, and you will stand, but so many are falling away. So many people are falling away. Probably nothing saddens my heart more than that. And we've been seeing this for years. Even Christian leaders, so-called Christian leaders, standing on national platforms on television get asked questions like, do you think that abortion is really wrong? Is abortion a bad thing? Well, you know, I don't really know if, I, I mean, I can't judge for anybody else, but I mean, I don't personally like that, but you know, it, that's nonsense. Yes, it's wrong. We love the people, but it's wrong. Same, same ones, and there's a bunch of them. What do you think about homosexuality? Is it a sin? Well, you know, I I can't judge for other people what you know, and I just want to love everybody, and and you know, yes, it's wrong. Amen. This put this this political, not even political so much. It is political, but it's also a a a whole culture shift that's happening, and they are robbing the church of their stance on things that we are supposed to stand and say, no, th- this, this is right. We've been standing on this for a long time and we love you, but we're not going to move off of this thing. You know, there are, there are many pastors all over the place that will not talk about homosexuality being wrong because they're afraid of losing people. And they're afraid of losing the people that have one foot in the church and one foot out. One foot in truth and one foot out. They're afraid of losing those people. As you can tell by now, I'm not afraid to lose people. I mean, I don't want to lose people. I love people. I want to shepherd people. I want to disciple people. But when it comes down to it, we have to speak the truth. And we we have to speak it in love with graciousness. But we have to speak the truth. I have a bigger concern, a bigger fear right now in our culture that we're living in. Not of people being loving, but of people not speaking the truth. Not being willing to stand up and say, you know what? You can hate me. You can cancel me. The whole cancel culture thing that's happened. We need people to stand up and say, look, I love you, but I really don't care if you censor me. You can censor me all you want. I'm going to go ahead and speak the truth anyways. If we have pastors across this nation that are afraid to tell their people, youth pastors, there's a lot of them too, that are afraid to tell their young people, Folks, guys, homosexuality is wrong. If we don't tell the church that, if we don't tell the younger generation that, where are they going to learn about sexuality? They're going to learn it from their friends. They're going to learn it from YouTube. They're going to learn it from their schools. They're going to learn it from every other place except for the people that have the real answers from the word of God. And then they're also, like, our language has been hijacked And they're saying, oh, well, you're not tolerant of me, so you really don't. You're not tolerant of what I believe, so you really don't love me. No, no, you're confusing the two things. No, I'm not tolerant of you, but I love you enough to tell you the truth and tell you that what you're doing and what you're believing is not in line with God's word. And so I'm bold enough and I love you enough to tell you the truth. And we have our younger people that if they don't hear that from us, who are they going to hear it from? Because what they're hearing on the other end is, you know, you go to church and you're, you know, around some religious people or whatever. And they really, they hate homosexuals because they just, they just really just don't tolerate us. And the young minds who don't know any better go, man, maybe they are being a little bit hard. Maybe, maybe it's not quite that cut and dry. Yes, it is cut and dry. God loves the people. He loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And it's not about highlighting particular sins, but it's about the whole idea of standing on truth, standing on the gospel, standing on what God says, and not being moved regardless of what the culture is doing. Culture is the most real thing that we're all a part of that we don't realize. People are moved more by culture than they are doctrine. And so the world has a culture, and the church has a culture that's been probably strange, and that's why they haven't reached the world. But instead of standing to their guns, sticking with their guns, sticking with the word, they've begun to water down the truth in order that they might reach the people that need to be reached. If you water down the truth, what are you reaching them with? The truth has to be told. I don't know how I got off on all that, but I think it probably blessed some people. Hallelujah. So we're talking about persecution, and and let me just say something. Then I don't say things like that to try to get a hand clap. I appreciate the hand clap and the amen, but I don't say it for that. I say it because it's true, I say it because it's right. And I'm just I refuse to be one of those pastors who refuses to simply just tell his people the truth. Jesus said that he had compassion on the multitude because they were like sheep having no shepherd. Another way you could say it, it was like a bunch of orphans that didn't have a father to love them and tell them and bring them into truth. That's how I look at people sometimes. I'm like, man, you just need to be fathered. You need to be loved on. You need to be brought into truth. But if we're too afraid, essentially what a lot of pastors are doing, or what they're equivalent to, is a father that's so concerned (laughs) about being a friend to his son instead of being a father to his son that he won't tell him the truth. Anybody in here that has half a lick of sense and is a parent knows that your first job isn't to be your child's friend. It's to be your child's parent. Everybody could agree with that. But yet we've developed this culture in church to where it's like, let's, let's be as careful as we can to not offend anybody. And I feel like I do mostly the opposite. But <laughs> pastoring is, is a fathering thing. Shepherding is a fathering thing. And so for me, my heart as a pastor, as a shepherd, is to say, I need to tell you some things that are going on in the world. This is like, and, and oh, my kids just love it. I don't have any of them in here right now to really embarrass them. But like, like Liz and I go out of our way to talk to them about sex. And they just love to hear it. <laughs> but I came to a conclusion a long time ago, even before we had kids, that everything that's happening with sex in our culture has completely engulfed and perverted the minds of the young people. And they they instead of growing up with a a healthy understanding of sex, they grow up with a perverted mind sex mindset about sex. Woo! Be careful, because they learned it from the world. Where the perversion comes from, and they didn't learn it from church. They didn't learn it from their families because people have been too afraid to just be parents. Instead, they're trying to get them to like them. To be honest with you, I mean, I want my kids to like me, and I have a great relationship with my boys, but them liking me is not the highest level of importance to me. Them knowing that I love them, regardless of feelings, and me training them are the highest levels between me and my sons. And as they grow older, we'll probably become more like friends and companions, although there will always be the father-son thing there. But it should be the same way in the church, too. Our highest level with people in the church shouldn't be to get them to like us. I have, I have Pioneer running through my veins, I'll always be the first one, maybe the first one, one of the first people to just say these things because somebody just has to say it. What, what has happened in the church as a whole in America? And, and look, I'm not trying to be hard on anybody. I love people. I have a passion for pastors. I meet with the, some of the pastors here in this town and love on them and encourage them uh, and all that stuff. But what has happened to the culture in the church in America It's not that it's just not honoring to God. It's actually really scary. Because some of our main leaders are too, they have no backbone, not enough backbone to simply tell people things that that are true from the Word and that they need to hear. I literally cannot comprehend that. The only thing I can comprehend how and why they're doing that is just like Paul said to Timothy. He said, in the last days, people will heap up for themselves teachers having itching ears. You know what that means? That means that, and it says the people will heap up for themselves the teachers. The teachers aren't heaping up the people. The people are heaping up the teachers. That means that the world around us is becoming less tolerant and intolerant of truth. So what they're doing is they're gravitating towards ministers who will make them feel good at the expense of telling them the truth. We're seeing this. I had a friend of mine that put a Facebook post and it was so good. He said, I'm gonna see if I could, if I could say it, but the point was is that basically at the feet of Jesus or at the crucifixion, you had a few people that were around Jesus that loved him, but the masses were screaming out and crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Same thing that's happening here today few people are willing to sit around the feet of Jesus and say, God, I want what you want. At the expense of culture, at the expense of friends, at the expense of whatever, God, I just want what you want. And we literally have people standing around saying, crucify him. Crucify, not literally, but figuratively saying, crucify him. They don't want truth. Many people don't want truth, but it doesn't matter what people want. You and I have a responsibility to tell them anyways. Our responsibility to me is the same of Jesus, grace and truth. We don't bring people into legalism. It says the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we don't bring people into, you need to do this. and you. It's not about that. But we do go to them with grace and love and mercy. But at the same time, we have to be willing to tell them the truth. If they don't hear it from us, who are they going to hear it from? We are the salt and we are the light. Amen. We are the ones. Amen man, I didn't even get into what I was going to get into. So I'm going to finish it next week because it's really good. But I got into some things that the Holy Ghost wanted me to get into. And I'm interested in what he wants me to get into more than what I want to get into. Amen. You know what my philosophy for pastoring a church is? Just follow God. Just love God. Just tell the truth. Amen. I do appreciate, I want to say something though. I really appreciate people that have been so faithful to stick with Liz and I through years, four years, through life, through stuff. I can't tell you how much that means to us. And you know, Ron gave me a word, and it was probably a couple years ago, and it was not encouraging, but it was true. But it's been become encouraging the more I've thought about it. He said, "You know what? He said, "I see you as Gideon, and God's preparing an army behind you to go with you." And my first thought wasn't, "Man, Gideon was a mighty man of valor. My first thought was, that means that there's going to be a lot of people that don't want to be with me, or that just won't end up with me. And you know what? There's some truth in that. There is. All that glitters is not gold. Think about, I was thinking about what the, what the purpose of church is. Just during worship, I have a lot of stuff go through my head during worship. Some of it's Kent, some of it's the Holy Ghost, but just thinking. What's the purpose of church? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. That's, that's actually the purpose why we gather here. It's not, it's not to feel good. We do feel good, and I, I pray that you do. If you feel bad, come talk to me. I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you, and you'll, you'll feel better. Amen? But that's not the reason why we gather together. Because if it becomes about, let's go to church to feel good, and then I have to cater to that, then that means that you all would be coming in to get something that's not centered around Jesus, and I would be giving you something that's not centered around Jesus. Feeling good is a fruit of being in relationship and and being under the word and, and being in the gospel and being in the presence of God. That's a fruit. That's not the focus. The focus is him. The focus is truth. The focus is what he wants to do and what he wants to say. I feel really protective over you guys right now And I think this is why that a lot of these things have been coming out, because I see people all around the world dropping like not around the world, but circles that I that I listen to dropping like flies, caving to the pressures of this world, caving to the pressures of political correctness. I want you guys to be able to stand and stand strong. Stand strong in who you are. And I want you to know that you have somebody for any way that you need to stand strong, you have somebody that will support you. We have a, and I'll finish with this. We have a few different college students in our in our church and they're all back at college now, I think. Um, and we, we've helped them the best we know how we're learning, helped them through some of the difficulties that they've had to navigate and going to, a secular college. And, you know, we hear, especially if you were to listen to anything like Fox News and different things like that, you'll hear them talk about academia and about all the things that are being programmed in these liberal colleges to teach people stuff. I'm going to tell you something, it's worse than what I thought. It's actually worse than what I really realized. And I know that there's pockets that are probably stronger than others. I get that. But our college students that are going and standing on the front lines. We have, two, we have two in particular, I'm so proud of all of them, but we have two in particular that have gone right into the battlefield and they have been hit with directly because they have stood and said, I'm a person of faith, I believe in God. Um, and even I'm conservative, I'm a Republican. I throw those things, any of that stuff in there. And they have been lambasted. They have been um, come out against on a level that I've never had to experience personally. And so I, I feel this, this this thing with you guys, my people, that I want you to be able to stand strong. I want you to feel like you have someone supporting you when you, you you face stuff, because I will support you. I'll go to bat with you. There was a situation that came up recently where I thought somebody, and it could still happen, might even might even have action taken against them because of their faith, which would have been completely unconstitutional. And I told Liz, I said, I will go and I will fight for them. I will hire an attorney. The church will hire an attorney. I'll go with them to court. I'll do everything I have to to fight against the injustice that's coming against them just because they have faith in Jesus. So as long as our laws allow us to do that, I'll I'll fight, amen. And I guess there's just something in me that wants you to know, I will stand with you. Will you stand with me? Because the the pressures that are happening in our society on the church, it's like you can feel it coming down more and more and more and more and more, and it probably will continue. We need to stick together. You need a strong leader. You got one. I need strong people. I got some. Let's stick together in what the Lord has called us to do. And here's the thing. It's the last thing I'm going to say. We're going to move with compassion and love. We're not going to hate those people. People are doing stuff. Sometimes it's because they have rebellion in their heart. Sometimes it's because that's just the way that they were raised and they don't know anything different. They just do the stuff that they do because they're they're full of demons and they don't even know that they're full of demons. And that's why they're doing demonic stuff. You know what our responsibility is? Just to love them. You know, the man, the gathering demoniac, Jesus and the disciples, they came over. And it says that there was a, a man there that had... The Gadarene, well, I call him the Gadarene demoniac. I don't even know. It might be Gadara. I think I've been saying it wrong this whole life. But anyways, whatever that guy was in the town called G that was full of all the demons, it says that Jesus saw a man that was full of demons. He saw the man before he saw the demons. Man, people, they they just need loved on a lot of them won't receive it but some of them will and regardless of whether they do we just love on them anyways amen I keep saying I'm going to do one more thing and I really am going to do one more thing would, would you guys grab that flag I just want to bring that flag and bring it right here just a couple ushers or whoever would you stand with me and I saw when you were over there praying I thought you know I want to do something I just set it right there right in the middle thank you sir I just want you to stick, stretch your hands towards this flag. Father, this represents the country that we live in. God, I, I know that if we'll come to a place of being on our knees, we don't worship the flag. We don't even worship the men who died and paid the price, who made the sacrifices to give us the freedom. But we worship the God who caused those men To bring us the freedom that we now stand in, we don't take it lightly. God, we need healing in our land. We need healing in our land. Man, you know, at some point, at some point, you just have to step back and go, "We just need healing in our land." We can't fix it. It's not a left issue or a right issue or a black issue or a white issue or an Asian issue or a a school issue or a college issue or a media issue. It's a. It's a thing that Jesus, people need Jesus. We need him to heal our land. So God, we are, we're asking in faith, whatever our part is revealed to us, God, we want to see healing in this land. Are there some injustices? Absolutely. But God, the fabric of what you've given us is the most incredible. It's the most incredible place in the entire world. And it's because your blessing has been upon it. God, we want to see that continue. I'm looking at at the younger people that are in here and, and even my own children. In 10 years or 20 years, they're never going to know the America that we've known if something doesn't change. God, we need healing. We need an awakening. We need things to change. Lord, I just pray over the hearts of the politicians here in this town, here in our state, in Illinois. God, in all of the states and over our president, God, that hearts would be turned toward you. And God, I know that there are hundreds and thousands of Christians across our land that are praying the same thing. And I sometimes I pray these things and I go, is it doing any good? But Lord, the reality is all we know to do is come back and say, help us. We need your help. We cannot do it without you. We don't want to be a people that goes back into a place of, of barbarianism to where the government rules over us. And we don't want, we don't want to experience that that persecution. God, we don't want to experience the divide that's happening between races and between different ideologies. And God, most importantly, there's a divide between light and darkness. And I thank you that the people of light will stand up with light not because of America, but because of Jesus. And we'll stand up. And God, I thank you that you've sent missionaries just like Liz and I. You've sent us as missionaries to Perryville. And God, we have a mission to reach the hearts and the lives and the people of Perryville in Missouri. And Lord, we can lock arms with people around us to believe that God's going to touch us, that God's going to revive us, that this nation is not dead, that these people are not dead, and the ones that are dead are gonna be brought back to life because we serve the God. that's the God of resurrection. He's the God that has the ability to bring dead things back to life. So Lord, we call our school board back to life. We call our mayor to life. We call our sheriff to life. We call all of the people to life. And God, many of them are already living that way, but we thank you that they're going to increase. And God, the ones that don't know you are going to come into relationship with you. God, continue to give us wisdom on the campaign of influence. And God, with our grace groups and with the different ways we're looking to reach the hearts of people. God, give us wisdom. But Lord, I thank you that it would never come from a place that we know what to do. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to do other than to stand up, to preach the truth, and to trust you. So God, thank you for a fervency of fire in our bellies for the truth. But Lord, we would be moved with compassion. We would be moved with love for the people that are broken, that don't know you, that don't know how to have a relationship with you. God, I thank you that the churches in this town that maybe some of them have been have been robbed from their identity because of religion that has been brought in that's kept them from, from having a revelation of the, of the gospel of Jesus, of having a, a relationship with you. Father, I thank you that their eyes would be opened up, that revival would hit the churches in Perryville. It's not about Overcomers Church. It's about the whole town. It's about the whole region. God, I pray over those pastors, over those priests, over those bishops, over whoever, whatever they call them. I pray that their hearts hearts would be broken for this community. I pray that they would come to a place of humility and say, God, we have to have you. We have to have your help. You are our only hope, Jesus. And it's you we place our trust in. And Father, we just pray blessing over our nation. We pray blessing. I thank you that the blessing will continue for generations. And Lord, we can see the writing on the wall of the things that would come against us, and it might get better before it gets Uh, get worse before it gets better, but we're going to believe for the best. We're going to believe in faith that you can do something great in our land and in our nation. And Lord, regardless of what comes against us in the natural, we know that we are on the verge of another great awakening in our country. We're on the verge of you taking your people and you using us to reach the masses with the gospel. And I'll stand with so many other prophets and so many other leaders that are believing for a billion soul harvest in this earth. God, we serve the God that can do it. We serve the God that can do it. We trust you. We rely on you. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Amen. Love you. Thank you. Bless you. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we're making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.